0: It's great to see you all. Uh, Thanks for joining us online as well if you're not here in the building. Um, I'm happy to be preaching this morning. Uh, It's been a while just because of our summer and stuff. I haven't been preaching as much and it was great, uh, but I am glad to be getting to open and share God's word with you this morning. It's always such a joy to get to do. I uh, grew up in high school playing soccer. Um, I'm quite competitive for those who uh, know me well. Anyone who has to play games with Talia, I apologize. It comes from me. It's not one of the better qualities that she got from me. But I can be quite competitive. And uh, things come out of me that are not necessarily from the Lord. And (sighs) something I'm working through. uh, But... I grew up in uh, in high school playing soccer. I actually love soccer. Some of the reasons why I I love soccer was it's it's actually not as competitive as most sports. There is definitely a a team mentality to soccer where you realize you're on a team, right? Soccer isn't necessarily one of those sports where there's one star on a team. It is a collaborative sport, and I think that was good for me. I think that's why I loved it so much. You cheered with one another, but you still have a common goal. There's still a, a goal to the game. You still can win or lose, which to me, if a, you know, a game, you know those board games they make that everyone just kind of wins? I'm like, why do you play those? Like, what is the fun if someone's not winning and someone's not losing? Like, I just don't get it. That's, that's not a game. That's an activity. Uh, Games are winning and losing. Anyways, that has nothing to do with soccer. So soccer is one of those games where still is a goal. We still knew what we were doing, but, but there was this collaborative. It wasn't highly competitive, at least not where we played. And it wasn't this, this idea where, you know, um, where you had to have all this vibrato and someone was always fighting each other or something. It wasn't just that. And so I think I love soccer. But I remember there's these two, two distinct moments I've watched of watching soccer games. Once there was, I watched a little kid's soccer game. Anyone been to like, you know, three or four year old soccer games? It does not resemble soccer at all. <laughs> like, I don't know why they call it soccer. It's really like, let's throw a bunch of kids on a field and just let them play with a ball. That's really what it is. And so I remember watching this and there was this little guy and I think we, I was here and I was just watching the play out in the field and there's this little guy and he was so excited and he had the ball and he went to the goal and he shot in the goal and he's celebrating and his team's celebrating and the parents are clapping and they're going, that wasn't your goal, like, wrong goal, but that's okay, like, it's great, way to go, and they're just celebrating, right? And, uh, you know, and as you get older and you get more mature, you realize that there is a point to where the ball needs to go and there is a right goal and a wrong goal. The other memory I have of, of soccer is actually um, one of my cousins. I won't tell you his name. Um, some of you who know him will, will probably figure it out by this story. Because um, I didn't ask him if I could share the story. But I went to one of his soccer games. He was a kid. I'm pretty sure his parents made him play soccer just because they wanted him to be active in some capacity. But he did not want to play soccer. There was nothing athletic about what he wanted to do in his life. So he's on the field. He is as far, see, family members who are there know the story. He was as far away from all the action as he possibly could be. He was like, get me in a corner where no one possibly will come near me. And he would stand there and he's like counting the flowers, picking up some grass and throwing it. Well, then there's this moment. Somehow someone kicks the ball down the field and he is there. No one else is around him. He is there. This was the look on his face. He looked at all the people. He looked at the ball that was about 20 feet away from him, and he looked at all the people, and he looked at the ball, and then he goes, oh. And he runs to the ball, and he kicks it, and then goes back to his spot. All I could think of was like, you're playing soccer, buddy. Like if I could give anything to be back in high school and get to be on a team and play soccer, and that's all I had to do with my life, I would do that. Where is the enjoyment in the game and being on a team and being a part of something? He knew he was on a team and he knew he was playing the game. He just didn't want to be. So he was on the field, but very reluctantly, and there was no joy in him about getting to play this game of soccer. Often, I feel like that is how the church feels about church unity. Let me say it again, often I actually believe that is what the church feels about church unity. It is such a chore, it's something we have to do. I don't wanna get along with other people and I don't wanna have to figure out how to have common ground with them, but I know I have to, so I'm just gonna do it reluctantly. Really, unity right across the board, right? We'd much rather stay in our own position in what we think and we believe, but we know we're supposed to figure out this thing about relationship, and so we reluctantly do it. And this morning, I wanna talk a bit about the joy we should have that we get to be unified that we get to be on a team that has a goal, that has a purpose. I wanna talk a bit about what are the limits that stop us from getting to that goal and that purpose. This morning we're going to Philippians chapter two. You can open your Bibles. Let me set the stage. Paul had just given all of the, uh, in Philippians, he had just given the church the explanation of how to deal with external conflict. They were being uh, forced with all this external conflict as the church, and, and Paul had given them some insight into what to do with that, and now he's going into how do you deal with internal conflict. How do you deal with when? as the church whereas if you don't know this morning the bible tells us that we are supposed to be a healthy family we're supposed to be a body that is working together we're supposed to get along it actually says in scripture that they shall know you because of your love for one another when's the last time someone looked at a church and said wow i want to know who god is because look at how well they love each other And when I say church, I just don't mean in this building, I mean as believers, those that understand who God is, who claim to be followers of Christ. When's the last time someone looked at us us corporately and said, wow, that is a God I wanna know because look, they've got it figured out. They know how to care even when they don't agree. They know how to have compassion and love for one another even when they don't land at the same spot. I'm challenged by that question because I think the answer would grieve God's heart more than we probably want to admit. So this is what Paul is talking to the church about. He's saying, let's look. Let's look at what you need to do and why. So let's start, chapter two in Philippians, starting in verse one, it says this. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who as being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant by something very unique. So we're gonna do something. Whether or not you are here in the building or whether or not you're watching online, I want you to do the same thing. I'm gonna read a few things. And if this rings true to you, I want you to stand up. Okay, got it? I'm gonna read a few things. If this rings true to you, I want you to stand up. If you're here in the building, if you're at home, do it the same. I know it's awkward, no one's watching you, that's okay. A little movement will keep you awake. So, you ready? If you have had any encouragement from being united with Christ. If God has ever encouraged you in a moment where you have felt discouraged, stand up. If any comfort from his love, if you've ever felt the comfort of the Lord in the midst of overwhelming circumstance, stand up. If any fellowship with the spirit, what does that mean? That means if you've ever felt like, hey, you know what, I'm just pretty sure God's here. I don't know how to explain it, I just kinda know he's here. If any tenderness and compassion, if you ever felt in any part of your life, wow, you know what, I've got a lot more compassion than I probably should have got for that circumstance. Someone gave me a lot more grace than maybe I deserved. I want you to stand up. If you are sitting, welcome here, that probably means that you don't know the Lord yet, and that's okay. Let's go on that journey together. Let's figure that out together. If you are standing, that means that you do know the Lord in some capacity, and that is great. But here's what scripture says. It says, if you've received all of those things, here's the obligation you must do now. Just take that in. That's what he starts the passage saying. He said, if God has graced you with these things, this is what I'm asking of you. You may sit down. Before anyone thinks that I am preaching a a cross-end message, I'm not. We believe very strongly that the only way that we get salvation, we get our eternity, is through the cross and what Christ did on that cross and the acceptance of what Christ did on that cross. Absolutely, that is what we hold firm to. But relationship with him is totally different. To be able to receive the promises we see in scripture in the life that we live on this earth, there is an obligation of what we do to partner with him. Relationship is about partnership. And if we're not partnering with someone else, we can't expect to have the fruit of the relationship. This morning, this passage is talking about that partnership. It's saying, God has been gracious to give you something. And in return, he's saying, this is what I want your gratitude to do. This is what it should look like. So what should it look like If unity is the goal, if that is the goal of being on the team, is unity a deep, abiding, internal unity, not pleasantry, and they're very different things, and let's not think that they're the same. Pleasantry says, I can put on a smile, but in my head, I'm still saying, you're an idiot. We're really good at that, right, as Christians? I'm good at this I like I I have to be honest right like I wrestle with this of like like you know that that (laughs) yeah I mean I sit in lots of circles with lots of people and I often don't agree with them and so I've you know you learn really good how to put on a smile and just pretend that that everything's okay it's easier just not to say anything true unity is actually working through the disagreements It's actually being able to hash out different opinions, coming at things and and not landing at the same spot and going away still with embrace and love for each other. That is what unity is. That is what Paul is talking about. But how do we get there, church? What does Paul talk about? How do we get there? First is unity comes when we realize that it's not about me, that I am not the center of the universe. True unity comes when we realize it's actually not about me. This is what it says in verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Interesting thing there. Paul doesn't say do nothing out of ambition. Ambition is not the problem. Ambition to do something, to achieve something, to receive something is not the problem. Selfish ambition is. They're two different things. Let me share a bit of my own journey. I love to preach. Most people who know me know that I love to preach. I would probably preach to my stuffed animals when I'm little. I'm sure if you asked my parents, they probably would have told you that. I love to teach. I love to preach. I don't know. It's just in me. And <clears throat> again, I'm not saying I'm good at it. I'm just saying that I love to do it. So don't critique, I'm not saying I'm amazing, I'm just saying that I love to do it. There's a passion in me to preach and teach the word of God. But if you would have examined my heart probably 10 years ago, especially when I first started to get to preach to something beyond teenagers which I love to do, like actually love to do, and there was this simplicity to it and there was just a desire for them to know Jesus in me and then all of a sudden something shifted and there was this, uh this opportunity where you get a platform to preach to more than teenagers who you could tell them anything as long as you feed them and they think you're amazing you know the expectation gets a little higher when you move out of the teenage realm um there was something that i didn't know was in my heart all of a sudden preaching became more about me than it came about the people that i was preaching to I appreciated the compliments and the, you know, the, the ability to, to get to be seen and heard. I had no idea I had such a problem with this deep in my heart until a few years later when the negative compliments would come. You know, the compliments that like, did a great job, but, you know? And really, no, you're not saying I did a great job, you just wanna tell me what I did wrong, but you're trying to do it in a Christian way, so thank you very much. <laughs> You know, there is this, like, this, like, the, the criticism came, right, about what I should do and I shouldn't do, and I remember the first time that I actually had to go home and wrestle with it and wrestle with what was going on in my heart, is someone came and said, you know what, you need to be more encouraging, like, I go away feeling like garbage every time you preach. And all I wanted to say, that's not me, that's the Holy Spirit convicting you. <laughs> um, I didn't. I graciously just nodded and, and looked, and that was fine. But I had to like, look, and I was like, why? What do you mean? You don't, you don't like me? Like, what did I do wrong? And I had to really wrestle with this, this piece. And I was like, what's wrong with me? And then I realized that preaching had become about being seen and heard. I realized that I had an issue with my own identity, that my ambition had changed from the ambition of wanting people to know Christ to wanting people to, to like me. That's not good for a preacher, by the way, because often the Holy Spirit tells you to say things that people aren't gonna like to hear. So you really can't have an identity crisis if if you're actually called to speak to the church. The church should be filled with hurting people and hurting people tend to say things that aren't super nice. And I had to wrestle with this of God, this is the desire, and then there was a period of time where actually I found that I didn't enjoy preaching as much because I knew I was wrestling with this this identity in me. I am back to I love to preach. But it's because there's such a joy if the one gets to understand that there's a God that loves them, that cares for them, that put a purpose in them, and they grasp that, there is nothing more amazing than that moment because it's not about me, it's about their eternity. Selfish ambition and ambition are two different things and what Paul is saying, he's saying doing nothing out of selfish ambition because it'll cause disunity between you. What does he say next? Go selfish ambition or vain conceit. Unity comes when we realize that I'm just not all that. But culture says that we should love ourselves and we are powerful and we are amazing and we can conquer the world if we just try. Guess what? My dad said something really wise to me when I was younger. He said this. He said someone will always be better than you and someone will always be worse than you. Doesn't sound super encouraging, does it? But it was. What was he saying? He's saying if you're always in competition, you're always gonna be dealing with pride or insecurity. You're never going to be okay. Conceit is this idea of thinking that I am all that. I know what is right. I am better. We often do it without even noticing. We look at someone, we make a judgment of what they must have gone through or who they must be. We've heard the story about what they have done or where they have gone or blah, 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 blah. We often don't call it gossip in the church. We call it a prayer chain. I'm just kidding, I I think prayer chains have a place and a purpose and it's really good for the church to pray as long as we're doing it with the right intent. That was just a joke. Um, But there is this point, right, where we just make these judgments about people because we've heard something and then that makes us see them in a certain light. And then we often look either with pity of I must be better than you Or we hear that someone got asked to do something that we've always wanted to do and then we look at them and think, wow, why didn't they ask me? What's wrong with me? Why do they wanna go to their group and not my group? Why don't I get to do that and they get to do that and why don't fill in the blank? Do you understand that conceit, this this conceit, this piece of not realizing that someone's always gonna be better and someone's always gonna be worse, so stop worrying about everyone else and start worrying about yourself and what is God calling you to do? because you'll constantly be dealing with pride or insecurity for the rest of your life and neither of them are the fruit of unity. Neither of them are the fruit of the spirit. But if the goal is unity, they will crush it every time because it's either about you or it's about your hurt. It's never about God. It's never about the Lord. David Kuzik says it this way, when we live with the feeling that we are so important and so able and so talented, we are out of God's will. We are working against the unity that Paul pleaded with the Philippians and all the Christians to have. It becomes about us instead of what it should be about. Because again, why? Because if you have received encouragement from the Lord, if you have received love or compassion you didn't deserve, if you have received tenderness, fellowship with God, if you have got comfort from him, then you have an obligation to do something with that. God's saying I have graciously given you these things and I want you to do something with it. He's not saying gravel at my feet and beg for my love and compassion he actually starts by saying i'm giving you all this i'm going to graciously give it to you now please do something with it please do something with it the third thing we see as it continues on says vain conceit but in humility consider others before yourself first four each of you should look not only to your own interests but also to the interests of others. I see it like this, unity comes when we realize that other people are smart too. True unity comes when we realize that we're not the smartest person in the room, that other people are smart too. The original language there is actually loneliness in mind. See, the culture of the day, which is primarily Greek culture, would not have seen submission as being a good thing. That would have been a very negative quality to have. If you could not defend your point and convince someone else to your side of the equation, you were not in a higher class, you were in a lower class. The ability to articulate your thought And to hold your ground is what they held in very high regard. And Paul was actually using language and saying, I know this is what culture says you should be. I know this is what it says that is important and valuable, what gives you purpose. Paul's saying, but that's not what God says. What God says, actually what I'm asking of you is to have a bit of humility, to think about other people, it doesn't say, don't think about your own interests. Don't think about what you think. Don't have opinions or thoughts. What it's saying is, think about others as well as your own. James and I, if you know us well, you know that we both are a little feisty and quite opinionated. You can imagine that that leaves for a very um, interesting marriage sometimes. It's good. We, we say we, we don't fight we just have very heated discussions. Um, But you put that pair together and then you put that God called us into ministry and it has been an interesting marriage. Um, A great one and beautiful and amazing and I have grown tremendously because I'm married to this man but we had to work at figuring it out. We had to work at figuring out how do I look at you and value where you're coming from because the other thing you would know if you knew us both is we often see things completely opposite from each other. Amen. Like if you could could look at a situation and see it from totally different perspectives, like opposite as possibly you can, that is James and I. Our board, you could ask any one of them and they would tell you this because they sit in board meetings with us. And we often see things completely different and we used to I don't know about James but I think we used to feel like that was conflict until we realized that God had actually given us a tremendous gift because you know what Scripture sees or what Scripture says Scripture says that you will see in part see until Jesus comes again any human being will only see any situation in part We'll only see a part of a picture. You know what happens, and I think I've said it before in a sermon, but I'll say it again for those who haven't heard it. If you look at a picture and you put a circle around different parts of that picture, and you only saw that part of that picture, you would think you were looking at different pictures. Because in your picture, you might just see reds or a tree. In another picture, you might see a bird or the sky, and they look like different pictures, and you're thinking, I don't know what picture you're looking at, but it's sure not the same one I am. But when we can realize that God actually gives us all a piece of the picture and we can hear each other and we can actually learn from each other and recognize that other people have things to contribute to the table, you know what we get to see? We get to see more of the picture. We get to see more of God's plan of what he's actually trying to do. We come to better decision making. James and I, I think, have realized Again, we are still feisty when we have differing opinions, but you know what we know now? We know that if we can actually hear each other, we're gonna come to way better decision-making at the end of the day. If I can actually hear where he's seeing and why he's seeing it the way he's seeing it. And he can actually hear what I'm seeing and why I'm seeing it the way that I'm seeing it. We actually understand more. And this is what Paul is talking about. He's saying, stop thinking you're the only one that knows something. Start thinking about others and listening to what they have to say. And then he anchors the last of this passage by saying, how can you do this? You're saying, well, this isn't what we should do because we're supposed to fill in the blank what culture says, but he says, actually, if you say, I am a Christian that actually means I am a Christ follower and here's what Christ did you can go home I'm not gonna read it again but from verse 5 all the way to verse 11 it talks about Christ's attitude and how he acted when he was on this earth and if you look into that he acted exactly what we're talking about this morning There was a sense of humility before him of understanding that God was big that God had a purpose and a plan, and his job was just to submit to that purpose and that plan and to love on people. So if we call ourselves Christ followers, here's what we're supposed to do. Some of you say, well, why does it matter? Why does church unity really matter? And the number one thing you hear from Christians, especially that middle-aged Christian that has left the church, I don't know if you know, but middle, you know, in, in uh, the empty nesters, they have left the church in drones, why? because they're disenfranchised and they've decided, I can be a Christian on my own in my living room. Here's what I would say to you. You're going against scripture. Scripture says you're supposed to be in a body of believers. You're supposed to be connected to other Christians. There should be a unity there. You can't actually do it on your own and line that up with what God said. You are missing a part of the Bible But here's what happens sometimes. Francis Chan has a great quote in his book. I think it actually came from one of the pastors in India. In his book letters to the churches, he says this. He says, we have a tendency to divide over trivial things when we forget that hell exists. Let me say it again. We have a tendency to divide over trivial things when we forget that hell exists. I know that there are some here and some probably listening that hold the theology or wrestle with the theology of whether or not hell exists, and I know it's not a comfortable thing to talk about, but Christ talked about it 70 times throughout the New Testament, which means that I can't just throw it out the window. It's talked about in the Bible 70 times. Jesus referenced hell. It is a thing, it is a place. Eternity is real. These things should drive us to our knees. Because people's eternity is at stake here. It isn't about us. Paul says that, that's where he came from when he came into chapter two. He said, you anchor conflict back to what's really important, what's really important is the gospel, the gospel that people can have eternity by just freely asking for it. By saying, hey, you know what? I don't understand it all. But Christ did something, and I realize I can't do it on my own, so I want to know what he did. I don't understand it all, but wow, those Christians seem to have some compassion and encouragement and love for one another. So I want to understand what that is. That should drive us to want to understand unity, to want to be on the team with enthusiasm and excitement and not be out in a field hoping the ball never comes to us. I'll call the worship team up. If you are here this morning or watching online, and you're going like, I don't understand all this, and you're really uncomfortable, <laughs> I just mentioned hell in a sermon. Um, try Alpha. <laughs> alpha will explain it all. Uh, no, this morning, Christ is here. He is present. He actually has offered eternal life. I know it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to me either. But he has. And what I've realized, the older I get, the more I don't have to understand something completely to still know it to be true. And so if you are here and you don't know him and you don't understand the gospel or you're watching online, please reach out to one of us. We wanna connect you in. We wanna help you understand who God is. We want you to receive those things that we talked about at the beginning. But if you are here If you are here and you've said, hey, you know what? I think I've had a little bit too much pride. I think I've thought too highly of myself and I haven't listened quite enough. I want you to not leave here before you bring that to the Lord. We're gonna have some worship and there's gonna be people up front to pray with you. If you feel like it, we can even pray with you over it. But if you feel like pride has crept in, I want you to deal with it today because it actually kills the unity of believers. If you are here and you need reconciliation with another believer, something I said this morning says, you know what, I, I have put on a smile and pretended I'm unified, but I actually haven't dealt with something with someone else who is another believer, I want you to deal with it this morning. It doesn't matter who was right and who was wrong. Let's deal with it because it's not about us because we don't have time to divide over trivial things, do we? It's not an option for us anymore. We need to stop thinking about ourselves and start thinking of those that don't have this amazing gift that we have. Let's stand together and let's, let's just pray together. God, I, I thank you that your word is always true, whether or not it makes us feel comforted, and some of it does. Whether or not it makes us feel encouraged, and some of it does. Whether or not it brings joy to our hearts, and some of it does. Whether or not it grieves us, and some of it does whether or not it convicts us, and some of it does. God, that it is true and it's what we hold to. This morning, I pray that those of us that are convicted on things going on in our own hearts, that we would come before you. We would not leave here from this place or turn off the live stream at home without dealing with our hearts god that we would pick up the phone this afternoon if we need to and and reconcile with someone that we have been disunified with god that we would remember that there is a call that we have and let us hold to that let us have excitement for that let us have ambition for that let it drive us god as a church may we not be a place that is not excited to partner with what you were doing. Let us not be a place that is complacent, that forgets that we are on mission. Let us not be a place that thinks unity is a have to, but that we would be a place that unity is a we want to. I thank you that your Holy Spirit is present. God, I just pray over relationships in this place today, God, that your Holy Spirit would come in and do a working power, that he would heal things that have been broken. God, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would be present, that we would be aware of his presence this In your name, amen.